And these, this Reds team is going to have a lot of scoring opportunities. De La Cruz, right center. Down base hit. Could he go free? Indy around third. India scores. It's a cycle. This is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to episode 127 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. I'm joined by my co-host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod, or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call, 631 631- 820-7377. Another week gone without Aaron Judge in the lineup. Now, this week, John, wasn't as bad. They went 4-2, and two and they took a series from a very good Texas Rangers team, which, to be honest, I did not have the highest hopes for going into the series. DJ Bingington and I kind of got to witness a win at Yankee Stadium. I mean, we had a ticket, and we went in, but we did not stay for the whole game because I was hot as fuck. We were were at a a tailgate for my friend Emmy. Uh, They did a memorial tailgate for her her father, who uh, we lost this past year. It was really beautiful. It was such a great time, but we parked in like the lot where they usually park in and and tailgate in, so it was a longer walk than I'm used to, and I'm fat and out of shape now, so I was like beat red when we got to the stadium. No, wait, hang on. They they won that game 1-0, correct? Yes, they did. Were you there for the run being scored? No. You didn't see the whole game. I, I was ready to give you some credit, but no, you fucked up. I'm going to take the credit because they usually lose when we're there. So I'm one of one. So you had to leave for that to happen. Yeah. You know, we were like, let's get out of here. I totally get that. We were moments before first pitch. We were like, let's get the fuck out of here right now. So uh, you're welcome, everybody. Billy McKinney, of course, was the hero. He's been our hero for the last few weeks now. Just like we wrote it up. Yeah. Just like we all thought he would be. (laughs) He hit the solo shot for that game. I do. I have to say I am feeling... Uh, a little bit more optimistic than I have been in the past taking that series. Uh, they took the series from Seattle, which is a decent team. Yep. They're just under 500 now. You know, they're in a very tough AL West division. There's only two tough divisions in each of the leagues, let's be honest. Right. <laughs> There's a third mystery division that's not that tough. But I'm chalking it up as a win. Uh, I did not think that they were going to take that series from Texas, but I'm glad they did. Aaron Judge, of course, there's no timetable still. So that was a little a little confusing the way the discourse went with that because it's like he's been out and I guess they clarified or he clarified that it's a tear in his toe now, right? Yeah. And people are flipping out that it's like now he's even more out. But it's like it, it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, Judge basically like gave an interview the other day and in it he had mentioned that his lig- that in his toe he has a torn ligament. They had not used those specific that specific terminology. So a lot of fans lost it at that. You know, they, they're never right. forthcoming about injuries, uh, all this, this, that, and the other thing. Besides the fact that the Yankees have a million reasons to not be forthcoming with the media and the fans about basically everything having to do with the organization, and especially when you're going to be a team that may be buying at the deadline, you don't know, you don't want to be too forthcoming with stuff like that because the price is going to go up exponentially if it's right. like wow you're desperate let's fucking jack this up for the you know whatever the trade value is for whoever that aside a sprain first of all 
can mean torn ligaments. That's why there's like grades with sprains. Like, oh, it's a grade two, grade three sprain, right. whatever. Even if you read like the definition for turf toe, which is what it had been described as, it says that, you know, uh, this motion, when you bend it backwards, can cause soft tissues and ligaments in the big toe joint to stretch or tear, which is a sprain. In parentheses, it says sprain. Sprain, right. It's right so, there. So <laughs> like, I feel like this is just people losing it over semantics. And also because the window for like a sprain, you know, they look online, it's like three weeks to whatever, six, eight weeks. We're at the three-week mark. People- so when they first read that range, they're like, well, obviously it's going to be the short end of this stick. Which to me is insane. Why would you ever <laughs> Why think Why would you that? assume the best for no reason? That's never happened. Like, has that ever happened that someone goes out with a pretty significant injury? I mean, this guy's 285 pounds. He ran oh, full are you, speed uh, into I a brick wall. I get what you're alluding to, which is national hero Pete Alonso returning yes. early from his bone bruise after only 10 days. Listen, not everybody can be Pete Alonso, okay? Um, That's true. I mean, I was surprised that he came back that soon. I, well, I was relieved when they said it was a bone bruise. I thought for sure he broke his hand. I was positive. It, but, w- it would have made sense. But yes. anyway. This man's 285 pounds. He ran full speed into a wall that the bottom, like, six inches of the wall is concrete. He slammed his toe into that. Like, the idea that he was ever going to come back in three weeks is insane. Maybe, maybe if it was his left foot. Right. Maybe, but not, it's not. Not his plant foot, though. Right. It's yeah. not. He literally throwing, uh, he, he starts running, he hits all off of his right foot. So, like, it's going to take time. And, yeah, it fucking sucks. And hopefully, you know, the All-Star break's coming up. That gives them, like, a week, a few days to, you know, no games. Uh, hopefully that helps him a little bit. But I'm just hoping that he gets back by September at this point. I, th- Two things. One, I always get a kick out of hearing that Aaron Judge is 285 pounds because I'm always like, hey, I'm 285 pounds. <laughs> and it's like, well, how tall are you? I don't want to talk about it's it. It's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> what I kind of find most funny about this is just like the entitlement of the fans. Like they're like the team owes them these injury right. updates. You know, I, I think they're of, lying. Right. right. Lying. I'm, I'm always brought back to football with this because Pete Carroll, who is the coach of the Seahawks, He's notorious for like, because, you know, they have to do press conferences during the week leading up to the game and stuff. And they'll ask him about injuries. He will not tell you shit. Like, you know, if you're playing the Seahawks, it's like, is this guy out? Uh, I don't know. We're going to know at game time. It's like, so really, it is kind of meaningless fan service. It's like, why don't, you know, we don't really need to tell you this. But, you know, fans have that sense of entitlement and ownership. Like, they need that information. It's just... Because really, (laughs) it's funny because we're kind of seeing in real time. It's like, well, what happens if you're just honest with them? It's like... Well, they flip out and assume that you're relying on them the whole time. So what's the incentive? Right. And what difference would it have made? Right. Exactly. Would it have sped up his timetable? No. Would it have potentially put more pressure on him to come back and not come back 100%? Maybe. And I don't, we don't need that. Is 75% of Aaron Judge better than what the Yankees have in this lineup? Probably. I was just going to say, 75% Aaron Judge is exactly what the Yankees need right now, but that's not good for Aaron Judge. No, but I don't need an injured Aaron Judge going down the stretch, and then certainly not if they make it into the postseason in the postseason, because without Judge, they're dead in the water. Game over. Yeah, forget it. All fucking the Houston Astros had to do last year was shut him down offensively, and then the team couldn't do anything. Even Bader went absolutely apeshit in the postseason last year, and it didn't matter. They couldn't even win a game. And I mean, we're really seeing just an extension of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Just 
without judge, the lineup is just exposed. There's no protection. And the guys that you would hope even, you know, the next level down, it's like, all right, well, you know, you and you are going to have to pick it up. They're not doing it. You know, you would, you would mention to me earlier, guys like Stanton and LeMayhew. It's like, this is your time to pick up the team. And it's just, like I said, you're getting by, you're winning series, but it's not, not it's, inspiring. No. And it's like seemingly by the skin of our teeth. Like, right. and guys like Stanton and DJ LeMayhew and Donaldson, they're not just like not pulling their weight. They're having like catastrophically bad seasons, like <laughs> career bad years. Right. And I don't know why for DJ LeMayhew, I figured, hey, maybe it had something to do. He had a foot injury last year. He opted to not have it. He couldn't play basically like the last few months of the season. He opted to not have surgery on it over the off season. He's like 35 or 34. So not getting any younger plus Hey, I know that they say he's healthy and and you can he can be pain-free and still be hindered by like an injury that maybe didn't heal right. You know what I mean? Oh, sure, like, yeah. Especially cuz he's 35. Is that why? It's not the same, right. maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Is Stanton playing hurt? I don't know. Is he just older now? Same thing with with Josh Donaldson. I mean, I never had high hopes for him to begin with, but <laughs> he's been playing Fucking Noted arch enemy of the show, Josh. Thompson. Seriously, <laughs> he's got a 59 weighted runs created plus right now, Ooh. and I know that he, you have a lot of people that are trying to like have a glass half full approach in terms of outlook for him because he's been hitting the ball really hard, mm. but he has an average launch angle of like four degrees. So right. hitting the ball hard, sure you can get it'll help you sneak through a few ground balls here or there, but. It's why, despite hitting the ball hard, he's like playing historically bad for him. Because if you hit it right to these fucking guys, these guys can field 105 miles an hour off the bat if it's hit right to them oh, in the yeah, infield. Exactly. So I can't hang my hat on that because, like, when is that going to happen? Mm. How big of a sample size does he need for, like, see, look, we have positive things on the horizon. Where is the horizon? Because <laughs> we're at the All Star break now. And then after that, there's only, what, like 80 games to play. So how big of a sample size does he need to get Basically, going? Basically, it's the last weekend of September, people. Panic. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am kind of pushing it there. I'm like, yada, 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 next half, end of September. And Glaber isn't helping himself either. I mean, he's one of the only guys that's done anything offensively who was kind of like keeping this mm. run, run scoring afloat. But he's acting like a fucking bonehead in the field and on the bases. Like just getting really bad reads off the bat and... I don't know. I know people are like, we want accountability. They want Glaber to be benched for certain things. The other night he had a really bad read on like a, what ended up getting caught by Semyon. It was like, sort of like, looked like it would have been in between or like Texas League or into right field. Mm -hmm. And he was running from second and he just took off thinking that he wasn't going to catch it. Of course he did. Right. Got thrown out. People wanted him benched for that. And listen, in theory, I get that. That's accountability to fans. Like that's a, the team acknowledging that Glaber fucked up and they get to see something come of that as opposed to Boone talking to him in the dugout or in the fucking clubhouse. That doesn't happen. That's not satisfying for me. Right. Yeah. And hey, maybe if this team were the first half Yankees of 2020, the first half Yankees of your, um, where they were playing really well and they'd only lost like 19 games. Mm. Sure. They need Glaber in the fucking lineup. Don't sit Glaber. And then what? You bring in right, someone off the bench right, who's horrible. Exactly. Like, I'm not here to teach and I get it. They don't want the behavior to... 
these guys are grown men. Like, this isn't like a disciplinary issue. This isn't like a high school team where the coach lets them call them by his first name and, like, doesn't give a shit about anything they do. We got the cool coach this year. Right, where they're like, shut up, Brian. He's like, all right, guys. All right, guys. All right. All cool right. it, gang, okay? <laughs> These are grown men. They're professionals. Sitting Glaber there only hurts the team. I'm sorry. And I know that base running error hurt the team, but you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Sitting him doesn't, like, make that go away, and they get a redo. I'm just picturing him. He's talking to Glaber in the dugout, like, okay, first of all, it's Mr. Boone, okay? <laughs> Glaber's like making him laugh. He's like, stop it. You know, I'm try <laughs> trying to do the coach thing here. This team is just lost without Aaron Judge. They're just lost. Their pitching has kept their bullpen has just been lights out. Uh, Cole has been, he's been pretty good. He, I think he got a no decision against the Rangers, but he was up against Ivaldi, who also got a no decision. So, like, I mean, it's what I can ask for from him, you know? It reminds me of Keep like, us in games. You know, unsustainable ways of sparking productivity in terms of like how Lindor got better after his daughter was born. Volpe just needs to be shoveling chicken parm down his throat on a nightly basis, apparently. That's true. Volpe, so by now anyone listening has heard this, where like a few weeks ago, at, right before the Mets series, the Mets series, the Mets two games. Series. He and like some the of his... Series split. Yes, Sorry, I, I can't know. get over that. It's ridiculous. Go ahead. Go ahead. He had some of his uh, teammates from like double A Somerset over to his parents' house in Jersey and his mom made chicken parm. And I guess he and Austin Wells, who's one of the Yankees highest prospects uh, currently in their system were like looking at old film from him, I guess when he played with double A Somerset, because he obviously mashed mm. down there. So they were looking at that, what his swing now and like noticing now, a few was changes. That, was that strategic or was that just an overbearing Italian mother? You have to see this footage I have of Anthony. <laughs> I can't just showing old home movies. And Austin Wells is like, Look I know. Look at that swing. Is it any wonder he's starting for the Yankees? <laughs> and it turns out that dude, that is... <laughs> Is it any wonder he's talking to the Yankees? We knew. I, I told them <laughs> when he was a kid. I knew. I just knew. I just knew. <laughs> and apparently they caught something in the film that like he was doing then, wasn't doing currently. Oh, like hitting well? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Austin Wells was like, listen, all you got to do is just hit like this again. And Austin, Anthony's who's like, only hitting minor league pitching, is like, I don't get what's so hard, Anthony. Look at what you were doing in double A. And now just do it in the big leagues. Oh, now I get it. Well, apparently that was all it took since then, <laughs> since the chicken parm incident, this man is slashing 258, 378, 484. That's uh, for anyone who's keeping track at home. I'm not doing the math in my head, but that is an OPS over 800 with a weighted runs created plus of 143. He's striking out slightly more. He's walking way more. So that's the thing with Volpe. Well, you got to work off all that chicken parm. Right, I mean, somehow. It sits pretty heavy. <laughs> My thing with Volpe, I don't need him to have 143 weighted runs created plus for the second half. Good, because... Uh, no, no, right. go ahead. Go. Right, <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. I just need him to be better than he's been and walk more. Even the strikeouts, like the a 32.4% strikeout percentage is not that great. But if he's going to make outs in other ways and that's just how he's choosing to do it as opposed to the, the eyewash, ground balls, fly balls, right. I don't give a fuck. Strike out every other time you are at the plate. If the other times you're getting a base hit, walking a little bit, like just walk, just get on base, especially get into that groove before Aaron Judge comes back because Aaron Judge can't come to this lineup where it's just him and Billy fucking McKinney. I mean, if you guys are going to start doing that, you got a pretty easy schedule coming up in theory. 
I'm like so nervous to even say this, but they start a three-game series with Oakland tonight in Oakland. The then surprisingly they, volatile Oakland A's. Right, I know. Right? Like they're gonna have a moment during the series. I just know it. Then they're not gonna sweep them. I'm predicting right now. You're probably gonna win the series. Oakland's gonna find a way. I fucking hope not, because there are a few teams in this league that I say the Yankees have to sweep. Not oh, the, just the A's, hundred percent. The A's are one of those teams, and the other team. And even the Mets swept the A's. Come on, exactly. And they swept the A's when they came to Yankee Stadium in May. Mm. It's the A's. I just did the Keith Hernandez. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and the other team is the fucking St. Louis Cardinals, who they then go to and play in St. Louis right after the series. Uh, no comment in terms of the Mets and the Cardinals. And they don't even have a day off. They play their last game at Oakland on Thursday. June 29th, and then they play in St. Louis on Friday, June 30th. So this mm. is just like, and that's a tough run to then fly from fucking Oakland to St. Louis yeah, kind of sucks. Hike, sure. But sorry, you better fucking sweep those losers too. <laughs> right. And last year they should have beat them too, and then they ended up losing to them in the uh, later in the season. And it was just like, they weren't any good last year. Like, come on, now they're even worse. Yeah. So these are the teams that like, you're going to get going. A winning streak. And if some of these guys are going to get going, like, Stanton, Donaldson, DJ LeMayu, now's the time. Yeah. And especially with Stanton and Donaldson, just start hitting some fucking home runs or extra base hits. Like, I don't need you to have a 300 batting average and a 400 on base. I don't need you to be Aaron Judge. I just need you to contribute even slightly to the run scoring uh, situation going on with the Yankees right now, which is not much of a situation. It's actually in like dire. We're like on life support at this point. And I know it sounds crazy because there are a few games over 500, but that's the state of their division. And that's the state of the American league. They have, I think they have the second wild card spot right now. Mm -hmm. They have the blue Jays right on their heels who are only a half game back. And then the Astros and the Angels are both a half game out of the wild card spot. So it's not even like, okay, at least we got the wild card. No, we don't at least got the wild right, card. Yeah, There's a lot even. that can happen between now and the end of the year, and they can't afford to they can't really afford to lose multiple series in a row. So fortunately, they've been able to keep their heads above water and hopefully judge comes back sometime before September. I don't even, I don't know. I don't that's, know, John. That's the game plan and there's no backup plan. No, there's not. No. It's Aaron Judge cuz to the point, so much so there's no backup plan right now when you look at the leaders board for the entire league on fan graphs. Ronald Acuna Jr. has been insane. He leads with a four F war. Right now, Judge doesn't qualify. So qualifying for the amount of played appearances is basically the amount of games that your team has played. And in the Yankees case, I think they've played like 75 or something like that. You multiply that number by 3.1, which is the average played appearances per game that number that you get that's the threshold right right. that's a plate appearance threshold so right now for the yankees to qualify you have to have had 241.8 plate appearances judges had 213 so he dropped out a week or so ago scrub (laughs) if you remove that qualification judge would still rank 17th in fwar with 2.8 and why that's significant despite the lack of plate appearances in comparison to most of the guys on the list is because it's a cumulative stat so it's not like, oh, he benefits from having a smaller sample size. It means that even in that smaller sample even size. with his absence, he's right. put that up. Right. right. He was able, he was worth that much to the Yankees. Like, I cannot stress, and I know we're seeing it, but even the stats, it's not even just like players and fans hoping and feeling this way about their guy. 
he is that important to the Yankees lineup that they are fucked without him. Yeah. Especially without these fucking guys picking up their end even the slightest bit. Speaking of being fucked without him, though I don't that's not there's no singular person to really go there for that segue. Segue to what? Go ahead. Segue to the Mets over to Queens, where somehow it's even worse than what's going on in the Bronx without Aaron Judge. I I, I don't want to talk about the Mets. I really don't. Like Steve Cohen does. Steve Cohen does, yeah. So, I mean, this is probably the most interesting thing that's happened over the last few weeks. Steve Cohen tweeted out that he's going to be holding a press conference tomorrow and that we are uh, we're going to get it straight from him, is what he said. Uh, so this has caused some layer of intrigue. There's some people jumping to conclusions like, oh, he's going to fire somebody, whether it's Buck or Epler. I'll tell you what he's going to give us straight is just going to be assurances that he believes in what Billy and Buck are doing and that this team can win and, you know, we just have to play better and yada, yada, yada. And it's just, it's because it's at the point the Mets are playing so bad, especially under the set of expectations that we started the season with. He has to say something. They can't just keep like, they would either need to say something symbolically through a big move or something, which they clearly are not doing, or by having the owner talk to the press. It really feels like it's more of just a lip service to the to the fans, you know, maybe under the guise of like, oh, you know, we're going to call out the players. Maybe that'll shake it up, like yada, yada, yada. Right. And, uh, and of course, you know, now tonight it's top of the eighth. The Mets are up 7 nothing against the Brewers. So that's nice. But actually, is it though? It's like a very Mets thing to just like we're going to undermine the seriousness of the press conference tomorrow <laughs> by winning tonight when we haven't been winning. It's to the point now where the discourse has really kind of done a 180 over the past two years as far as Buck Showalter. You know, when, when he was hired, he, you know, Buck Showalter, baseball genius, yada, 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 the culture he brings, all that stuff. And it sure looked like we were seeing it last year. But I've been saying the shine's been going away. The shine feels like it's gone, man. It's to the point now where, like, the writers and the discourse on Twitter and other social media – Buck might just be straight up on the hot seat at this point. You know, I don't know how else to say it. Someone's got to be. Right? You feel like, and I mean, is it really appropriate to fire Epler at this point in time? Because then who do you bring in? And then what purpose does that serve? Where I feel like Buck has to go. If for no other reason, then sure, you don't have Diaz. That's a huge blow to the bullpen. Of course, yeah. And the bullpen has given away plenty of games. But you have some guys that were performing very well above average position players I'm speaking last year that they're not getting even close to that out of this year yeah and why is that why is McNeil underperforming so poor why is uh Marte performing so poorly in comparison to last year like what's changed and maybe give some insight to the fans if they're if the hitting coach has any idea as to why that is or I don't know if that's even appropriate for the fans to really and that, know. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's would, something. would they throw the player under the bus like that? Like, right. I don't know. I mean, especially McNeil. If you look at McNeil's numbers, you know, he won the batting title last year. This is 2021 Jeff McNeil all over again. He was up and down. You know, he had all those great seasons leading up to it, like building, 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 and then was just garbage in 21. It was like, oh, he's back last year. You know, he figured it out, but he's right back. He regressed all the way back. It's confusing. But then, like, as much as, as easy as it is to criticize the hitters because they're the guys that we're seeing every day, like, it's the pitching is really what it is, you know? And especially, like, the, the whole... When they were... Buck Showalter's bullpen management has been sketchy at best. 
you know, blowing that game against the uh, the Phillies in the eighth inning, saying that his high leverage guys were not available, and he was saving Robertson for the ninth when the, the big guys were up in the eighth. It's just it, makes no sense. It makes no sense. It smacks of some kind of disconnect between the front office and and Showalter. Who knows who's making the calls at this point? But then even when when he's interviewed afterwards, Showalter is comes coming off kind of defensive kind of what you know what else am I supposed to do you know it's 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 obvious like all the, this kind of vibe oh yeah the other day someone asked about like a future lineup or something and he was like you guys always want to know everything in advance and it's like uh yeah buck they're reporters like they're gonna ask you questions uh, right, about what's yeah. happened and what's to come exactly and it's just you know all these all these mistakes the Mets are making it just it show it's so what should the word be here unshow Walter Arian unshow Walter esque <laughs> um, it's just it, it's not Buck's brand, and you gotta have you gotta ask the question like, is that brand even deserved, or are we seeing Buck Showalter maybe really isn't a great manager? I don't know. And then that not even to go into the whole conversation like, well, how much does a manager actually matter? Blah 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 blah. That's its own conversation. But one thing we do know is the manager's main job is being the face of the team. So somebody like you said is gonna have to take a fall for something soon because. The Mets are the most games out of first place right now than they've been since 2003. 2003, 16 games out. So the division's over. It's oh, been yeah, over. division's you know, over. Division's the, long over. And it's just... The Braves are not stopping either. You know, and so just we're at a point now with this team, you know, with all these high expectations, now we're, we're hitting milestones. You know what I mean? 2003. You look at, like, we just lost a series to the Phillies first time since 2001. We've be, been beating the shit out of Philly, and we couldn't do it. That eighth inning fucking... Bullpen implosion, Brigham hit two guys, he let in a walk bolt, all with the bases loaded to tie up the game. And then, you know, then Beatty has the throwing error, and it's like, well, Beatty shouldn't have been in that position with a halfway decent bullpen, you know? So good on him for, you know, accountability and shit, I guess. But again, it's right. all the these little individuals, it's like, oh, it's this, oh, it's this. It's not just one thing here and there. It's just this accumulation of... I don't even know what to call it. it. Complacency, stubbornness, incompetence. Like it's just it it's hard to put a label on it, but it sure seems like they're just throwing the same shit at a wall, try, hoping something sticks. Nothing is sticking. And where where do we go from here? Like what's what's Cohen gonna say tomorrow that's gonna change anything tangibly? I I don't know. And so to me it's just like I said last week, it's been the same vibe for two weeks in a row. Now it's been the same vibe for three weeks in a row. And especially like I hate even putting this much on what Cohen's going to say, but that's the point where Met fans are at, where he better have something good to say beyond some fucking lip service of like, I believe in this team. And even though, yeah, at the end of the day, it is all lip service, but something has to be said by somebody because it's not like, even at least with the Yankees, they have guys, their best players been injured for weeks now, for a month so that fucks up the entire lineup and fucks up the plans. And Bader was injured for a while there too, and that fucked things up. The Mets have all of their starters. So what's going on? Maybe McNeil, the only thing I can possibly think of, and this is a pretty surface level, is that McNeil last year, he mastered the art of hitting the ball the other way because he would hit against a shift. So he was able to get on because he, yeah, maybe. the left I side mean... of the field was opened up. Where now this year... They're not allowed to do that. So the shortstop and the and the third baseman are basically on the left side of the field. So that closes off an entire side where maybe right. I think that he was sneaking some hits through because fuck it, he's a lefty and he could do that. Yeah. Now he can't. So it's like, okay, well, what's the adjustment there? 
And I feel like the Mets knew that the rule change was coming. So you'd think that they would have done something maybe knowing that, hey, McNeil's probably going to regress because this is what he's been able to be successful doing in the past. Because his numbers, he's been pulling the ball significantly more this year. So I feel like he's trying to take advantage of the fact that there's no shift and trying to get more balls to drop in that no man's land behind second base and in shallow right field. Right, right. But it's not really working out for him. So at what point is there someone to tell him, hey, dude, you can't really do that. That's not working for you. You're pulling almost 10% more to your pull side this year as opposed to last year, and it's not working. And I remember that was one of the specific criticisms against him in 2021 was he was trying to pull the ball and it just was not working. And yes, you might you might be onto something there, but coming down on a player-by-player basis just seems so futile because it's everybody. Just right. no, but you know, it's just this accumulation, like I keep saying. And then it, it, it's almost to the point where like every little thing just is going wrong. You know, like Drew Smith gets 10 games for substances. He comes back, blows the game immediately yesterday right. to run home runs. So we lose against the Brewers. Or even um, when the lineup scores 10 runs, they get outscored by 11 runs by the Braves. You yeah. know what I mean? Where then what the fuck are you supposed to do? You should be able to win a, a game with 10 runs. Well, and that and that's really it. And, you know, uh, the stat, I, I forgot to write down the record, but the Mets only hope is when their starters go six innings. Right. It's the only kind of like winning percentage that's kind of decent that they have. And granted, Peterson did that tonight, which is nice. We'll see if they hang on because now the bullpen is in play. But, um, you know, Peterson did it. Scherzer's been good last couple times. Remember last week we were saying like, all right, Scherzer, do it again. Well, he did it again. Okay, cool. Verlander didn't, you know. <laughs> so right. it's like there's just no consistency. And, you know, the... It almost feels like even with the regression in the offense, had the bullpen been able to hold leads and like had the starters been able to stretch, we would at least be maybe over 500 right now. And even the most elite bullpens, if they are overused to make up for a lack of starting pitching, which has been the Yankees the last few years, especially pre-Garrett Cole, their 2019 mm-hmm. team, they made it as far as they did because they had an unreal bullpen. Come October, they were fucking gassed. Same thing has happened to the Rays. Same thing has happened to all these other teams where they're riding their bullpen into the postseason because mm. it's, you know, making up for their lack of good to elite starting pitching. But then in October, it ends up falling flat they're because gassed. they're gassed. Right. And now they're trying their best to be on that stage and be that those guys for the team. And it just, it always falls apart. Usually fantastically because it's a bullpen. So they're coming in in situations where it's close game or whatever. So it's just, this can't be the plan. This can't be the plan because the bullpen isn't that good. No, obviously, but like the starters aren't holding up their end of the deal sometimes. So the bullpen is then having longer games. Right, And especially once Diaz got hurt, that was so clearly the strategy. We have Scherzer, we have Verlander, you know, we have Senga is supposed to be good. Yada, yada, yada. Not to throw Senga under the bus. Senga actually has been pretty solid. But point being, the whole the whole cell was like, oh, look at the, you know, we got these studs up front. We'll be okay without Diaz. And well, if the studs aren't doing it, then we're fucked, you know? So I'm, it's the breaking balls curse kind of luck that, you know, by the time you guys are listening to this, Cohen will have already done the press conference. So you'll know what he said. And we don't know <laughs> right now, of course. And I think it's just so appropriate that the only way that I can end this Mets segment on something resembling a high note is by talking about a guy who's not even a Met anymore. Congratulations, Eduardo Escobar, who we traded away, got his American citizenship. Good for you, Eduardo. One of the good guys of the game. I'm, 
genuinely happy for him, and that's the happiest that I am tangentially to the Mets about anything right now. And I do, I do kind of love because I felt the same way about Gio Urshela. Uh, I love that like these guys that are, come onto our team and, and play that role that they get to go play with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Like I feel like that's something that's really cool. Absolutely, for, yeah. And obviously, even more so for Eduardo Escobar, who has been in the league for ten plus seasons. Right. Like. He was never an you know he was an all star I think one time yeah yeah so it's not it's not like he had like so. this this super uh, decorated career but like being able to say that you got to play with Shohei Otani I feel like it's something that's really cool yeah, for a major like, leaguer when you're kind of I don't know if I call him a journeyman but he's yeah he is that he kind of is at this point just to be able to say like yeah yeah one of the teams I wound up on has like you said Trout and Otani that that is cool you know that's something you could take with you and the Mets I think got two pitching prospects for him now I don't know. Much yeah, about so prospects, but will they keep them and develop them? Will they try to flip them at the deadline? Well, and that's Who kind knows? of the thing is like that. That was like this glimmer of hope where it's like, oh, are they? Are we just calling it? And you know, we're gonna get something for for Fam, for Vogelback, for Canna, yada yada yada. But then there was, I believe it was John Harper uh, on Twitter was saying that there's really not too much to read into here. It was more right. of an opportunistic thing, specifically with Escobar. Not that we're expecting some kind of Mets fire sale imminently. Maybe Cohen will say differently tomorrow. I don't know. But <laughs> it again, it's it's one of those where it's like fucking good, man. You know, right. like Escobar, this team's not going anywhere. Escobar was not adding much at this point beyond just like a, a good clubhouse guy. So it's like, yeah, clearly pitching's the problem. Get some pitching. Yeah, and they're sticking know? with Beatty. So what's sticking the with point? Beatty, right, exactly. So we mentioned last week uh, Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays has been struggling, to put yes. it very nicely. He's been struggling to the point where this guy who had an unreal season last year got sent all the way down to the development league. So Manoa, he had his first start today in the Florida Complex League, which that's a pretty funny name. Kind of sounds like a prison league. Well, I just like the idea that it's like <laughs> if you're dealing with some sort of complex, you go down there to, <laughs> to sort it out. I guess that's basically what it is. I mean, this guy, he went 2.2 innings, 10 hits, 11 earned runs. Two walks, three strikeouts, two home runs for an ERA of 37.13. Again, against Florida Complex League batters. Yeah, this is like this guy below should rookie be ball. eating these guys alive. And I obviously I never pray for injury or anything for any player. And he's not injured for as far as we know. It's just I don't know, mental, what the deal is. My guess has been it has something to do with the pitch clock. He's a bigger guy. I know that CC Sabathia, who is of similar build when he was a player, has said, like, thank God they didn't have the pitch clock when I was pitching because it would have finished him. My good friend Tommy, who is a diehard Blue Jays fan, is convinced and I'm inclined to believe him that Manoa is a victim of just believing his own hype after last year and just taking his foot off the gas and, you know. And this is the risk of shit talking. Now, I loved Manoa shit talking and that mixing it up with the Yankees. I love that sort of bad blood. Sure. It's fun. But <laughs> but it's risky business that shit talking. You got to back it up. Yeah, because now look what's going on. Last year he sat down, had something to say about Garrett Cole, how he's the biggest cheater in the league or something like that. And now look, who's fucking laughing now, Manoa? Now <laughs> like you're Manoa, in the complex. Maybe you league. should cheat, bro. Seriously. <laughs> I've been saying that about Domingo Herman. Herman's been awful. Right. Awful. Obviously, he was whatever tack merchant he was, whatever his mixture was that he was making. His Start cheating. Sticky substance of choice. Please cheat again. <laughs> right. And I know that the Yankees, if he gets fucking caught, they like can't 
they can't bring someone else onto the roster. They like lose that roster spot, mm-hmm. which makes sense. It's to de-incentivize pitchers from just cheating again. Right. Fuck it, let me just cheat. I almost, I kind of want him to. It's like get rid of him or let him cheat because he's totally useless right. without it. But I digress. Manoa should probably start cheating, at least in the Florida Complex League. I mean, are they even checking down there? <laughs> it's Florida Complex League umpires, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the lowest rung of umps, too. I mean, they got a lot of stuff going on. It's just, like, it's just high that. school kids on summer vacation <laughs> calling yeah, the games. It's the fucking volunteer parents from the local like Little League. <laughs> I'm just picturing like the complex league team sitting in the outfield with the orange slices and like the Capri Suns. Like, and Alex's mom bro, has snacks for today. And bro, that's so fucking condescending. <laughs> sure, it's a lot more professional than that, <laughs> but I'm just piling on Manoa because fuck him. Now, I'm wondering how the Florida Complex League, as far as like intensity level, compares with the Atlantic League, where our beloved Long Island Ducks play, who had some kind of void to fill. After X Met Daniel Murphy left and uh, used them to get a big league deal. No, good, good for me. Used them, um, but you know the the marketing department was sorely missing in the X Met to sell tickets category. So uh, Wilson Ramos, come on down. You are now a Long Island Duck. We got to go to a game, man. <laughs> I know we've been saying that all season. We really do have. We to We really go. should. We can, from where DJ Bingington and I live, we can see and hear the fireworks, like, right, right there. It is literally and, less than a 10-minute drive yeah. from where we record. It's right here. Like, we could walk there, and we just don't go. Tickets are, like, $7 a ticket. Literally. It's really, there's no barrier to no, us there's going. There's none whatsoever. It. It's very easy to get out of the parking lot at the end of the night <laughs> after the game. Like, And their games start at, like, 6.30, so they're over by, like, fucking 9. So right. we just, we, there's no excuse. It's really... And I have to check out to see who else they have. I even follow them on Twitter. So like they have their Twitter account like tweets during games. Oh, yeah, like, oh yeah. so-and-so hit a home run. I'm like, damn, gotta get down there. Yeah, support local baseball, man. Come on. And speaking of supporting local baseball, the Cincinnati Reds have proven the pulse that still lives in these baseball towns that have looked like ghost towns for years because their ownership doesn't give a shit. Now the We Reds- saw it with the A's on their uh, reverse boycott night. Saw it with the A's. Now the Reds, who are in second place only by half a game in the NL Central. They just finished. I mean, they've since lost a few games, but they went on a 12-game winning streak. The place was fucking packed. That was their longest winning streak since 1957. Are not, you n- fucking kidding not me? Not even the big red machine Reds had a streak like that. Dude, that Crazy, is insane. Right? And with the... Because Joey Votto's back. Mm-hmm. So they got him back, and now they have you know their... Their dynamo, Ellie De La Cruz, their rookie that they just called up. And granted, small sample size, yada, yada, yada. He just hit for a cycle the other night against the Braves in a crazy game where they ended up winning like 11-10 versus the Braves, who are inarguably the best team in the league right now. They've even eclipsed what the Rays were doing. The Rays have kind of fallen off a little bit in terms of being the, dar- the darling of MLB media. The Braves have just like powered through and they managed to take that game. And it was a packed house. Yeah, that was cool, too. That was, um, what was the number? Atlanta was on a winning streak as well going into that game. I know that. So it was kind of like two red-hot teams, I guess no pun intended here, um, <laughs> coming in, and it was just a back-and-forth game, ton of scoring. Like, it, it delivered. You know, sometimes those games will be a letdown. It was everything that game was supposed to be. Um, and speaking of Joey Votto, you know, Joey Votto is a really funny guy. He had a great quote where they were interviewing him, and just talking about, like, the state of the game right now, <laughs> The way he intros to this, this is not a sell. My contract is guaranteed. 
But truly, the television doesn't do it justice. Watching these guys live is bigger, faster, dirtier. The game is fast, but these guys are faster. This is the most enjoyable version of baseball I think I've ever seen. Which is a great quote, but I also just love that. Listen, baseball baseball contracts are guaranteed, so they're not being, they're not paying me extra to say this. But <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. I mean, as a fan watching it, it's exciting. And with the exception of something like you know stolen bases or certain things, and I think Babbitt is which is batted balls in play, uh, batting average on balls in play rather. That's up a, a few points in comparison to this time last year. A lot of the Offensive numbers haven't changed all that much, but the aesthetics have changed. And that was really the point. It was to make it more exciting and to, and to give it just a shot of adrenaline without fundamentally changing too much about the sport. And now even someone who's been in the league for fucking 15 years is saying that. Now, here's a question, actually. We kind of, I breezed over this before when you were talking about having gone to the Yankees game. I, through a series of unfortunate events, which alternate title for the Mets this year. Um, <laughs> no, so through a series of whatever, uh, I haven't been able to go to a game yet this year. So you actually went in person. Did it feel different with the pitch clock? Like, was it super noticeable to you or? No. And we went, we went first of all with the, not this past weekend, but we went back in April, the first series of the season right. against the Giants. And that was back when they were still getting a lot more violations where now you get them every now and then. But I think that They're game had like two or three at this point. Right. Yeah. It didn't feel any different in a bad way. Mm. It was exciting. It kept the game moving. And because there was a lot of offense at that time, it was still like a three hour and 15 minute game. Yeah. So and I understand people complain about if you're there for a pitcher's duel, but those are few and far between. Let's be honest. Yeah. And it keeps the foot on the gas pedal, even for a pitcher's duel, that it keeps it exciting, that it keeps it makes it feel like there's more on the line because this guy's got to fucking get this pitch off in the next three seconds. And like that adds, I feel like, like it adds something subconsciously. Sure. Yes, totally. So I, I totally agree with Joey Votto. I think that the game needed this change and I was against some of these changes in years past. I, one of my first episodes is talking about how I didn't think they should ban the shift and why I did. I thought that, but I was wrong. Well, and you know, another, well, maybe not unintended, it was intended. Uh, one of the effects we're seeing of these rule changes is some records kind of like being approached now, but yeah. like it's almost a little bad faith, the current discourse. We need some asterisks here, you know what I mean? And you know yeah. us, we're not asterisk people when we talk about like, you know, the steroid era, yada, yada, yada. But this truly is like, you know, when we're talking about stolen base records, it's like, well, yeah, the pitcher can't throw over a third time, so... Yeah, that it's great that there's more stolen bases. It's exciting and everything, but let's be real about the causes here and how much easier it is in a lot of ways now. I definitely think that's something that should be part of like baseball history discourse in terms of talking about things that change. Like we talk about how from whatever it was from 60 to 61, they increased the schedule from 154 games to 162 games. And that's something that is still talked about today and was really important to the home run record discourse for Roger Maris. Dude, this I, it just occurred to me the same way that we got like, oh, yeah, well, Ruth did it in 154. Down the road, we're going to be getting like, oh, yeah, well, Ricky Henderson did it without a pitch clock. So <laughs> we are going to have that because I think the reason that John and I even thought of this tonight in, in particular is that Gary Cohen on the Mets broadcast I'm pretty, he had to have been talking about Acuna because Acuna hit two home runs tonight. Yes, yeah. And I think he it was like his 20th and 21st home run. So Gary was saying, and he's got a shitload of stolen bases. 
So Gary was saying that Acuna, I suppose, would be the first player ever to hit 30 home runs and steal 70 bases in a season, which that's impressive. Caveat, the entire league is subject to these same rules. So it's not like Acuna gets some sort of like handicap where he can run because the pitcher can only throw twice when he's on right, base. Right, right. That being said, there's a reason that stolen bases for the guys who steal bases, like him, are up by a fucking ton because they know that once the pitcher disengages two times, they only have to worry about the catcher snap throwing. So I feel like there's something to that, and there obviously is because that's why the league made the change to try to increase stolen bases, and it's worked. So... I don't know. I feel like a, a fucking crotchety boomer, like being like, there should be an asterisk, but I don't know. It just it felt like talking about that, especially before it's even happened, like the possibility of him, if he reaches this, he'll be the first player. I feel like the second thing that Gary should have said is, well, it makes sense because they now have this rule where the runners know that so they can be a little bit more freewheeling on the bases than they have been in the past. It's not a Correct. coincidence. No. It's, it's a direct correlation. So get your asterisks ready, everybody, because we're going to need plenty of them at the end of the season. Start practicing drawing them because, you know, sometimes the angles can be a little bit challenging. Some asterisks look better than others. We're not accepting little five-pointed stars here. It needs the full, you know, just work on your asterisks. And on that note, let's get right into the voicemails. Our first and only voicemail is from Bubak. What up, fam? It's Bubak. I, don't, I can't remember. It's been so long. I can't remember what day you record on. Maybe I'm going to miss it. I don't know. Hopefully not, because uh, I don't know if you guys knew, but uh, if you watched, but uh, LSU Tigers, they won College World Series last night, right? And, uh, you know, the last time they won the College World, College World Series was in 09. Somebody else won a World Series in 09. Oh, that's right, the New York Yankees. Am I crazy? Maybe. But is there a chance? Is there a, a thread of optimism there? You bet there is, baby. You bet there is. Guys, I got to go. I'm building a patio in my backyard. It sucks ass. I got to keep on keeping on. I love you guys. We'll talk to you later. Bubak out. I mean, you guys all heard the desperation in my voice in that opening segment with the, about the Yankees. So, Bubak, I haven't felt this hopeful about the Yankee season probably since the beginning of the season before it even started. I am going all in on this coincidental LSU national championship Yankees World Series possibility. And especially because, you know who was on the 2009 national championship winning LSU Tigers? None other than our own David John LeMahieu. He was one of their stars. He was like a first-team all-world series tournament. Uh, He was obviously a stud for LSU his whole career, and he won a national championship that year with them. So I think it's only right that the Yankees win another World Series the same year LSU wins a championship, and it has a national championship tiger on the roster. Okay, so first of all, Bubak, I say this with all due love and respect, how down bad are Yankees fans that were talking about the College World Series? Very. I didn't even watch any. I think I watched half a game, and now I'm like all in on the champion. I I will say, though... um, because I'm a contrarian, I had to go to the Wikipedia page and be like, all right, 2009, sure. But what other years? Uh, they also won in 2000. Okay. Uh, they also won in 1996. Stop. I'm not kidding. But they also won in 91, Twins. Oof. 93, Blue Jays. Yikes. And 97, Marlins. Listen, 
I'm going to ignore all of those years and really <laughs> hone in on the years where they won the same time the Yankees won the World Series. It only makes sense. First half is behind us. What's done is done. Okay, everybody. I'm looking forward to the second half with Aaron Judge, the LSU Tigers with the national championship under their belt. And a Marlins Blue Jays World Series confirmed. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Oh, my God. Marlins would be kind of sick. Blue Jays, <laughs> kill me. Seriously. If it's not the Yankees, any team besides an NL and AL East team and the Astros, which is nobody. So. You just don't want to see the inevitable Alec Manoa redemption story when he comes back and wins Game 7 for the Blue Jays in the World Series. That's right, Tommy. I'm manifesting it. And the Marlins beat the fucking Red Sox today. 10-1. DJ Pidgeyton <laughs> just showed me. God damn it, John. It's happening. We are wrapping up this week's show before this gets any worse. <laughs> Bubak, thank you so much for your call. And thank you to all of our listeners. You guys rule. Anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. And you can also find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. And we want to thank our amazing producer and engineer, DJ Bingington. You can find him on Twitter as well, at DJ, B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. And we will catch you guys in two weeks. Have a nice 4th of July.